It's not really a good, there's not a huge punchline. Actually, there was a fire at the fair and they needed water and so they came to me. And in the middle of the night, it's just kind of one of those weird sounds that you kind of like, that could be a bear. As soon as we start leaving that campsite, he's like, I, I literally can't walk. So I like lived in the camp with yeah. the most good story. I was working that one of the husky games. And the boy comes from like up the stairs and he's like, Pretty crazy, right? I think so. I don't know. Okay, I think I've read that. We were like, oh, well, the next time we come, we're going to come with Emma. So we're at the wrong airport. Like, what do you do when you're at the wrong airport? You know when it takes the picture at the top? There's this person's hand right in front of my face. And I was getting nicer, and I was like, what are you doing? You're freaking out. Thank you, One of the kind of amazing things that I feel like I've experienced that I think is like a spiritual thing or God thing is like the bridge got shut down because there was like this massive oil tanker that like caught on fire. We were praying and, and all of a sudden like the clouds like part. Like I mean this is like weird. It was like the clouds part and we could see base camp. In the 1996 movie, Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise plays a sports agent. He works for this huge sports firm, and their job is to sponsor a whole bunch of professional athletes. Well, at some point, he has a crisis of conscience. The crisis of conscience is about his firm focusing more on quantity rather than on quality. So he takes a weekend, and he forms this mission statement. It's a mission statement not only for his life, but for his firm and what he sees as his industry. He, he sends it in, e in an email to a whole bunch of people. He gets to work Monday morning. Everybody's high-fiving him. And then he gets into his office, and he's fired. So he decides to set out on his own. He's going to sponsor one football player. He's going to live out his life statement. Well, he needs some help, so he hires a secretary, played, played by Renee Zellweger. Her name is Dorothy. She's a single mom. And spoiler alert, they fall in love, they get married. But spoiler alert, things go from good to bad to really ugly. The football player just doesn't work out. In fact, he gets injured, things don't work out. Well, time goes by, they're going to get a divorce. Well, the football player actually makes a comeback, and he scores big time. And so there's a point in the movie where, where Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Jerry Maguire, is sitting there looking at the football player. The football player is talking to his wife, and he's celebrating. And in his heart, he sees, Jerry Maguire sees that he's missing something, and that something is Dorothy. So remember, they're getting a divorce. And so he goes over to the house, and she's having her book club meeting. And he walks inside the, the, the house and interrupts a meeting, and he says, today, today should have been the best day of our lives. Because, honey, we done good. We made a lot of money today. But you weren't there. I couldn't hear your voice. And as he starts telling her all these platitudes, she's going, shut up, shut up. And finally, he says that famous phrase from the movie, no, it's not show me the money. He says, this world is a broken, broken, cynical place. But you, you complete me. And then she goes, shut up, you had me at hello. And then they kiss, and everything's great. A, a lady in the book club goes, I just love this book club. <laughs> There's a theological point with, to this, all right? Go with me. <laughs> Think about that phrase, you complete me. It's a very dangerous phrase. 
It's wedding season. I love doing weddings. I've officiated several weddings so far. One just a couple days ago, a, a young man from West Point, and his, uh, he just graduated West Point and his bride. Love this couple. It was a blast doing the wedding. Well, when I officiate weddings, I send out a, a, a questionnaire because I want to get to know the couple, because most of the time, I don't really know the couple. So I ask them questions like, what's the, uh, the best memory you've had, the worst memory, best date, worst date, first date? If your, your fiancé was an animal, what would that animal be? Stuff like that. But then I also ask a very important question, and that question is, how did you know that he or she is the one? And occasionally, I'll get that vain, very dangerous phrase, he completes me. She completes me. And it's at that time when we got to press pause because there's an issue with that. It, it sounds great in the movies, but when we focus everything we have on a person or a thing, we can lose what God really wants for us. In fact, we've got this, this hole in our spirit that needs to be filled by one thing and one thing only, and that's God. But we focus on other things. It's like we've got these two bookends called completeness. And on the front side of the, the, the front side bookend is if only I had fill in the blank with that person or that thing, then the second bookend is then I'd be complete. If only I had that, that, that husband, that wife, then I'd be complete. If only I had that child, then, then I'd be complete. If only I had that car that matched my girlfriend's hair, then I'd be complete. If only I had that house, I could move out of the dump I'm in, then I'd be complete. If only I had that job, my dad would give me respect, then I'd be complete. All of those things are great things, but they can't become the one thing. Because here's the thing about all those things, they're going to lose their shininess over time. They're all temporal. That, that husband that you stand up with at the altar and he's got those six-pack abs, well, those six-pack abs are going to turn to one pack, most likely, over a few years. That beautiful bride who looks so put together at, at, on the altar, most likely, probably wouldn't happen to you ladies, but most likely she may not look as put together after a few years. That child is going to come with issues. That job is going to cause you to make some choices on, on priorities and responsibilities. That house is going to require maintenance, and it's going to have a mortgage. The car is going to lose its new car smell, and your girlfriend's probably going to change the color of her hair anyway. Welcome to Cornwall Church. Uplifting sermon so far, right? <laughs> well, my point is this. So often in life, we look for the wrong things to fill us, to, to fill that hole. We look at things that are temporary, and what God wants us to do is fill us with the one thing, and that one thing is Jesus, because if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this, only our, our completeness is in Christ alone. Our completeness is in Christ alone. We cannot get completeness from any other thing other than Jesus. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit our first week in our summer series. It's called Stories Worth Telling. It's in this series in which we're going to look at about 12 or 13 different biblical characters, all of them with brokenness in their lives, all of them with jacked upness in their lives, all of them meeting God in a special way, which makes their stories extraordinary. Andy Stanley once said that the only stories worth telling are extraordinary stories. We're going to be telling extraordinary stories all summer. So today we're going to focus on a gal named Leah. 
Leah is treated as property. She's not pretty. And her life is a mess because she's trying to get completeness from something other than God. She's got this misplaced devotion. Her story is told over several chapters in the book of Genesis. And we're going to hone in on one specific chapter in about 20 verses. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis 29. We're going to look at verses 15 to 35. Let me set the scene for what's going on. And I'm just going to tell you, this is a long scene setter. But because we've got to understand the background. We've got to understand the nuances. When we understand that, we can pull some things and keep things in context so we don't misapply Scripture, okay? So go with me. Here we go. About 4,000 plus years ago, God reaches out to a man named Abram. He's living in a country called Haran, and he tells Abram and his wife Sarai to get up and go to the land of Canaan. They go to the land of Canaan. He changes their name to Abraham and Sarah, and he tells them that they, in their old age, they're going to have a son. And sure enough, God is true to his word. They have a son. His name's Isaac. Isaac grows up, he falls in love with a gal named Rebecca. They get married, and they have kids. They actually have twins. The first son is a kid named Esau. Now, if you were here last week and, and uh, on my teaching on, on Uriah the Hittite, we know that, that names have meaning in the Old Testament. So Esau means basically really hairy, Chewbacca-looking, red-headed kid. That's the Kip James version. He comes out first, and when he comes out, he is given something that's really good if you're the firstborn. It's called a birthright, and, and you'd get a father's blessing. That means you've got power, you've got prestige, and you've got privilege. Also, it comes with some kaching. So he comes out, and hanging on to him is his little brother. His name is Jacob. His name means a couple things. It means deceiver or trickster, but it also means grabber or wrestler. So he's grabbing onto his foot. We're going to focus on the deceiver trickster side today. Now, Jacob and Esau, they do this. Their whole lives, they're just doing this. They're always fighting. So Rebecca, many of you moms get this. She's tired of her kids fighting, her boys fighting. She goes to God and says, God, what do I do about this? He said, here's the deal. Your boys are both going to be separate nations, and they are going to be at war with one another. On top of that, Esau's the oldest, and he's supposed to get the father's blessing, the birthright. Well, guess what? Jacob's going to get that, and the older is going to serve the younger. The boys grow up. Esau's an outdoorsman. He's what his, his dad would say is a man's man. Isaac loves Esau more than Isaac loves Jacob, and that's an issue. Jacob is, Rachel's, or is uh, 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 Rebecca's little boy, and she loves him, and he loves hanging out in the kitchen. He loves cooking, and so there's some tension right there. One day, Esau impulsively sells his birthright to Jacob, but there's still the issue of the father's blessing. Fast forward many, many years. Isaac is on his deathbed. He's dying and he's blind. And he says to Esau, Esau, I'm going to give you the father's blessing. Go get some roadkill, cook it up, and we're going to, I'm going to bless you. So Esau goes out the door with his, his gear, and he's going to get the food. Well, Rebecca hears all this going on. She says, Jacob, come over here. Your brother's going to get the blessing. God told me it's going to be you, so here's what I want you to do. You're going to kill a goat. We're going to dress you up as Esau, and guess what? You're, we're going to fool your dad. You're going to get that blessing. And sure enough, that happens. Isaac is fooled. Jacob gets the father's blessing, and Isaac doesn't know that it's Jacob that he's blessing. Esau comes in. He's got the roadkill. He's like, Dad, I'm home. I got the food. Give me the blessing. He says, I, I, who are you? I'm your son, Esau. Wait a second. I just gave you the blessing. And Esau's like, give me the blessing. He said, I can't. I can only give it one time. And Esau says these words. Jacob has lived up to his name. 
He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. And I'm going to kill him. Mama Rebecca grabs Jacob and says, son, I think it's time for you to take a trip. And so she sends him to another country to live with her brother, his uncle, Laban. He shows up in the country. He, he meets the first person he meets is a gal named Rachel. She's beautiful. They fall in love. Our story picks up about a month after he gets to live with Laban. All right, so here we go. Genesis 29, verses 15 to 18. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me, Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. So as we know in the Bible, names mean something. Jacob is deceiver. Laban means getting, becoming pure or white. And what we're going to see is that Laban is a far cry from that. In fact, what we're going to see is that God will use anyone for his good and perfect will. So Laban, he's a, he's a trickster. Let's talk about him. He sees Jacob. Jacob's in shape. Jacob's a guy who can handle a lot of things. He sees a leader in Jacob. He spots his potential. He's going to make Laban a whole bunch of money. He's seen in the short time that this guy's a good shepherd. And so what he does is he knows that Jacob is in love with Rachel. And remember, remember that Laban is a very clever trickster. So Jacob says, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. Let's talk about Rachel. Let's talk about her and her older sister. Our, our verse here says that there's no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Other translations say that Leah was weak in the eyes. Remember last week when we were talking about contrast in the Old Testament, that the writers would do contrast to show something really big? Well, they do that here. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. This is about beauty. This is not about vision. Leah is not attractive. Rachel is very attractive. Jacob is in love with Rachel, so he asks for her hand in marriage. Let's keep going. Verses 19 through 24. Laban said, agreed. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. You complete me, Rachel. You had me at hello, Jacob. That, that's not in the Bible. Verse 21. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement. Jacob said to Laban, now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Dun, dun, dun. But, side note, Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her mate. I'll talk about that in a second. Jacob meets his match when it comes to deception. Laban's got an issue. He's got a daughter that he's going to be able to get rid of really easily, Rachel, but he has one that he's not going to be able to get rid of as easily because in that culture, women are property, and he would get a, a money, if you will, for marrying off his daughter to the right person. Well, he's got to marry off Leah, and that's going to be a hard deal. So he works a switch in the middle of the night without Jacob realizing it, knowing that Jacob is going to ask for an extension in his contract so he can marry Rachel. How did, how did Jacob not know that that was Leah with him? I mean, come on, we all want to know that. Speculation here, speculation here, but let's just look at the cultural context. 
culturally. Back in that day, you'd have a wedding feast, and the wedding feast would last many, many days, sometimes many weeks, and there were copious amounts of alcohol consumed. On top of that, once it was time to, to do the ceremony, they'd do a ceremony, a, a guy would stand and read a marriage contract, the, the husband would be covered with a cloak, and the, the soon-to-be bride would have like this veil from head to toe. Picture a burqa on steroids. This is a very, it's completely top to bottom. You can't see anything. And when they would pronounce the wedding, the, the husband would take his cloak and put it on the wife. Speculation, speculation here. But most likely, Jacob consumed some alcohol. Most likely, Rachel and Leah, well, they're about the same size. And if you've got this thing around you, you can't see any size or form. And remember, it's in the middle of the night. Laban scoreboard one, Jacob scoreboard goose egg, verses 25 to 30. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Well, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, and then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Laban is good. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Side note, Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bill, how to be her maid. Those two side notes are important because you'd have Rachel and Leah, and these two maidservants would sleep with Jacob, and they would provide the 12 sons of Israel who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. And he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Have you ever noticed in life that we will scream about the injustices done to us when we'll totally forget the injustices we've done to others. I mean, think about Jacob. He had stolen his, 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 his brother's blessing. He deceived his father, yet he's screaming that he's being deceived here. I love the Bible because it is so relevant. Have you ever noticed that sin comes back to haunt you? It does. Sin comes back to haunt you. As I said last week, sin does you, hell begets hell, lie begets lie, sin begets sin. It comes back to haunt you. Jacob had never respected the rights of the firstborn in his own country. Why would he do it here? And what, what happens is Laban says, listen, dude, you didn't read the fine print of the contract. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn. Sin does you. It comes back to haunt you. If you're being used by someone, trust me, it's going to come back and bite them. Jesus said that what's done in the dark is going to be brought out into the light. And this happens to our man Jacob. So let's press pause in the story because there are some lessons that we want to pull from Leah on this. So let's put verse 25 back on the screen. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Picture Leah. Speculation here, but I, I think we've, she's heard all of her life that she's not pretty enough. She's been compared to her sister Rachel. Definitely she hears her husband and her dad yelling and screaming about how her husband got the raw deal in it because he got the ugly one and he wanted Rachel. All of her life, most likely, she's heard how she doesn't really matter because, you know, she's not as pretty as Rachel. And this sounds so cliche. 
It's so cliche, but it's such a truth that your heart is a delicate thing. Your heart is a delicate thing. You think about that. We hear the lies that others tell us. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Why can't you be as fast as your older brother? Why can't you be uh, as smart as your older sister or your younger sister? Why can't you be as good as this employee? You, You hear this all the time. And what happens, the more we listen to these lies, the harder our hearts become. They become so hard that we can't hear God because we've filled our hearts with the lies of this world rather than with the truth of Jesus. And what God wants us to do is He wants us to anchor ourselves into His love because when we anchor ourselves into His love, we realize that only He can complete us, that only Christ can complete us. And it's at that time when we can become the men and women God has called us to be because we've pushed out the lies of this world. If someone has sat and told you over and over that you're not filling the blank with whatever it is, God says something different because He sent His Son to die for all of us, especially the brokenhearted. And he uses the brokenness of this world and our brokenness to do his good and perfect will. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says these words, God chose things despised by this world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. I, I, I follow a, uh, this Greek scholar on Twitter. There are only like four of us who follow him. I'm one of them, but, but he, he paraphrased this in a really cool way. He said this, this verse, he said, God has picked out people who are laughable, and through them he confuses the high and mighty, low-class, second-rate, run-of-the-mill people. These are the ones God has chosen. These are the stories worth telling, because these are the stories of you and me, all of us having brokenness in our lives, but God shows up, and he's the God of the flip. You see, God does some of his best work through broken vessels. He does, and it's broken vessels like you and broken vessels like me. Several years ago, Pastor Rick Warren of the Purpose Driven Life fame, he's Saddleback Church senior pastor. He's written like five gajillion books, and they've got a whole bunch of campuses. I think they just opened up one on Mars or Venus now. So several years ago, he he talked about this whole concept of, of the kind of people That God uses. And he said these words Abraham was on Medicare, Moses had a speech impediment, Jacob was a thief, Joseph was an ex con, Rahab was a prostitute, David was a murderer and an adulterer, Elijah was bipolar, John the Baptist ate bugs, Thomas doubted, Gideon panicked, Martha stressed out, Jonah was directionally challenged, Samson was relationally challenged, Zacchaeus, he was vertically challenged. Jeremiah was too young, Sarah was too old, Noah got drunk, and Peter couldn't swim. And these are the type of people God uses to build his kingdom, people like you and me, because they all have stories, they all have brokenness. God does some of his best work through broken vessels like you and broken vessels like me, and he makes no mistakes. All right, so let's go back to verse 25, because there's a great lesson here. But when Jacob woke up in the morning... It was Leah. Some of your translations say when, that behold in the morning it was Leah. Timothy Keller once talked about this. Timothy Keller, he's my favorite theologian of, of this time. He said that, that if we look into our own hearts, if we honestly look into our own hearts, we yearn for something that can't be had on this side of eternity. That there are things in this world that we yearn for that will never keep their promises. Those things are the Rachels of the world. 
that child that you want to have to save your marriage, that husband, that wife, that career, all of those things are great things, but when they become the one thing, they become an idol. And God said, you'll have no idols before me. And we try to fill ourselves with the proverbial Rachels of the world. And when we go to bed, we're thinking we're going to bed with Rachel, but behold, in the morning, Leah. We, we put all of our hopes and dreams in the proverbial Rachels of the world. Things that will tarnish, things that will die, things that will fade away. And at the end of the day, we go to bed with Rachel, we think, but behold, in the morning, Leah. I'm reading the book of Ecclesiastes right now. I'm doing a study on my own. And, and I used to think the, the book of Ecclesiastes is just a train wreck of a book. It's like you got to have a handful of antidepressants before you read it because the, the tagline in it is that everything under the sun is meaningless. Life is meaningless. It's all vanity. It's all chasing in the wind. But at the end of the book, the guy who wrote it, Solomon, we're going to be talking about him in a few weeks, Solomon says, faith in God is the only thing that matters. We have to focus above the sun. And I would add to that, our focus needs to be on the S-O-N, sun, because only Jesus can complete us, because all of the things that, do, that we try to complete us, the Rachels of the world, well, behold, in the morning, it's Leah. We try to fill ourselves, too, in social media. Let's just use social media as an example, how that can complete us, how we will we'll paint a, a Rachel picture while living a Leah existence. Go with me on this. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. A, a mom writes about her son, eight-year-old son, who loves his little sister. Little Tad Williger, eight years old, he looks at me as he's given little Bonnie Boo Boo a bath. Big tears coming down his eyes, and he said, Mommy, if, I, if little Bonnie Boo Boo was, st was, was stuck somewhere in the ocean, I'd pray for Jesus' power so I could walk on water to go save her. Hashtag blessed. Okay, now we all know little Tad Williger, and we know little Tad Williger's a monster, and that he tried to drown his little sister, Bonnie Boo Boo, in the, in the local pool the other day. Hashtag spawn of Satan. And what we do is that we is we try to paint this picture that's not real because we've got to have that filling of something. God says our completeness is in Christ alone. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about what we build our lives on. He said when we build our lives on sand, when we build our houses on sand, the house is going to teeter-totter back and forth and it's going to fall because the sand's going to sink. And what he calls on us to do then is to anchor into the rock, that we build our house on the rock, and because he's the one who completes us. All of the other things are Rachel's, and behold, in the morning, it's Leah. So back to Leah. Mother Teresa once said that the feeling of being unwanted is the greatest form of poverty, and Leah is sitting in horrific poverty. Her husband doesn't love her, and she's just yearning for that. That's what she wants. Her father doesn't want her, and now then, she's striving, striving for something she's not going to be, she's not going to get. She's thrown into a living hell. She's giving love, and it's not being returned in, in favor, in kind. And if that's you, if you are giving your love, and it's not being returned, you're in good company. You're in good company with Leah, but more importantly, you're in good company with Jesus. But that's for another sermon at another time, verses 31 to 34. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. 
But Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to yet another son. He was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. I love that first part, that first part that says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. You may be going through something right now, and as you pray, you may feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, bouncing off the clouds, and that God is not listening. God knows everything that's going on in, her, in your life, and he wants to be a part of it, and he's going to answer that prayer, and it's going to be yes, no, or wait. And he just calls on us to call to him in faith. And what's beautiful about this is that he shows up. Now, let's put up on the slide. I want to go through these three boys because there's a progression here that we're going to see. Remember that names mean a lot. Let's start with Reuben. Reuben, it means he has seen my misery. The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Where's her focus? Interactive here. Where's her focus? The husband. Okay, it's, it's, it's right here. Okay. <laughs> Making it easy. Come on. These are softball pitches. Let's talk about Simeon. Simeon means one who hears. So she has Simeon. The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Unloved by whom? Her husband. Okay, let's try a third time. Levi. Levi means a feeling or affection for. So surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. Her focus, her completion is all about the love of her husband. And here's the thing that's so sad about this story, because she is unloved, but she's very, very rich in a whole bunch of ways. She's rich in that she's born into the family that Laban has, and he's a rich man. So in that culture, in that time, she's going to be taken care of. She's rich because she's had three kids, and in that culture and in that time, the fact that they're three boys, that's a huge thing. But her focus is always on the one thing she doesn't have. As I said, the Bible's relevant, and, and, and this is such a truth for us. The one great blessing that we want but don't have can obscure all that God is doing for us. And it's so true. The one blessing that we want so much, our focus is all on that thing we don't have. We can lose focus of all the amazing things going on around us. And when we do that focus on the thing we don't have, we got these expectations expectations of what God is supposed to do in our life and what others are supposed to do in our lives and unmet expectations, that's bitterness. And we can have this poison called bitterness and we keep swallowing it and we keep swallowing it because we're focusing on our boss who should have given us that promotion but they gave it to someone else. We focus on that child who's a child who struggles and we struggle with that child. We have an expectation that God's going to show up and do something amazing in our marriage and he doesn't on his time or he doesn't on our time, and we get very, very bitter. We may say that God must not love me because I don't have fill in the blank with whatever that proverbial Rachel of the world is, that temporal thing. Our focus has to be an eternal focus, a focus on Jesus. In fact, we, we, can, we can judge God and the love of God that he has for us on what we think he should do for us. Back to Leah. She keeps focusing on being complete by getting her husband's love. She will never get her husband's love. 
Something clicks. Let's look at this. Verse 35. Several years go by as she's having these kids. Verse 35. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a fourth son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. Judah is related to the Hebrew term praise. And then she stopped having children. This is what's so cool about this. Beforehand, beforehand it was all about the love of the husband, Reuben. Simeon, Levi, it's all about maybe my husband will love me. Now something clicks, and when something clicks, it's like, praise God. I'm just going to stop, and I'm going to praise God. All the people who had abused her, and I'm talking emotional abuse according to Scripture, all the emotional abuse she had gotten from her father, her, her husband, as well as her sister, if you read on in this story, the abuse she'd get from Rachel, her sister, it all takes a back seat because now then everything comes from God. She was no longer Leah the unwanted. She was Leah the loved. She's loved by God now. Something clicks, and now she's loved by God. And here's the beauty of the story. It's a story of redemption. It's, it's what, what, you know, the nine words I always say what the gospel is. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. God shows up, and he does a flip in the world because he chooses Leah. He chooses her to have a son named Judah. The son Judah would, would become the tribe Judah. It would be the tribe, the, the, the seed from which Jesus would come, would come from this lineage in Judah. God knew her. He knew everything that was, was going on with her, and he chose her. Leah would be in the genealogy of Jesus, as well as other people with brokenness in their lives. People like Rahab the prostitute, Ruth a foreigner, David the adulterer and the murderer. And then he'd choose from the middle of nowhere this insignificant teenage girl to have Jesus. He does that because he's the God of the flip. He's the God who gets into our brokenness and does something amazing with that. Last... Um, probably, what, three, four, five months ago. I don't know. It's been, time flies, but we did this, this series on uh, Psalm 139, and Pastor Bob gave a great tagline for Psalm 139. He knows us, and he chose us, and he chooses us to do his bidding now, and it's so amazing. When you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he overcomes all the junk in our lives, all that brokenness, and he looks at us, and he doesn't see us being weak in the eyes. He says, you're beautiful because I died for you. You are my son. You are my daughter, and he calls on us to abide in him, to remain in him, and when we abide and remain in him, he bears, we bear the, the fruit that he produces, he chooses the weak to shame the strong. He chooses you and he chooses me because we're broken vessels. And he does his best work with broken vessels. Here's the, the, the thing that's so sad for Leah. She would never get her husband's love. The only respect he would give her in her life was on her deathbed. She would die and he would bury her in a cave in Mechpelah, a cave in which Abraham and Sarah were buried, his grandparents, and Isaac and Rebecca, his parents. That's the only respect that she would ever get. But at the end of the day, God loved her, and he loves you. Don't believe me? Let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 as we wrap up. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. 
And this is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You see, He loves us so much, but we got to anchor into Him. We anchor into Him and we can become the men and women He's called us to be because when we anchor into Him, the junk of this world is not going to sway us. The junk of this world is not going to cause us to sink. When we anchor into Jesus, we realize that He is the one thing. All those other things are good things, but they can't become the one thing because only Christ can complete us. Okay, I want to finish off here with a challenge for you guys. Your challenge for this week is very straightforward, and it's a question. I want you to ask yourself this question sometime this week and ponder this. Where do I get my self-worth? Where do I get my self-worth? To answer it, you may want to look at where you spend your time, treasure, and talent the most. Is it with a family, a, ch a child, toys, career, whatever that is? Ask yourself, where do I get my self-worth? And if that self-worth comes from something other than Jesus, take time to pray through that and think through that. Our completeness can come only from Christ alone. All right, Skadget, I'm going to turn you over to Pastor Brian. Thank you for joining us today. Boca Raton, those of you guys joining us online, thank you for being part of our online family.